and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Father, I thank you for these words. I ask that you would make them drip with honey. I pray today, Lord, you would be like Pooh Bear, walking around giving people tastes of honey in this place. In your precious name, that experiential taste. As the Proverbs say, my son, eat honey, for it is good for you. And wisdom is thus for your soul. Amen. So I want you to turn to John 17. You can, uh, you can stop. <clears throat> Man, guys, I got to say again, worship was insane today. I, I, several times I forgot where I was. And I opened my eyes and I was like, there's other people here. <laughs> Did anybody else have that? Yeah. There's a couple times I thought I was going to just disappear. <laughs> I'm like, man, I don't know what's happening. So John 17, if you don't know, I, I encourage you to follow along. Because as you look at the words and as you receive the word into you today, it will feed you in such a way that James actually says in 121, he says, receive the engrafted word. It's able to save your soul. In other words, the word performs a saving work on the inside of you. Sometimes... We are saved, but there's parts of our minds that need that salvation to spread into it. And the means by which that happens is right here. The washing of the water with the word. So he continually just, in a sense, spreads through us by the receiving of his word. So we're going to look at it today. John 17. Now, I have to say before we even look at the first verse that this is at the end of 14 through 16, which is one long, uninterrupted teaching of Jesus. In my opinion, John 14 through 16 is the highest spiritual teaching known to man. There is not anything that comes remotely close to Christ talking to you about a spiritual life than John 14 through 16. But at the end, when he concludes this incredible and insane almost inexhaustible teaching on what spiritual life is, he says these words. It says, Jesus spoke these things, that's what I was just talking about, 14 through 16, and then lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father. So stop for a second. He finishes this master teaching on spirituality and lifts his eyes. So we're seeing that John 17 is the conclusion prayer of the greatest spiritual teaching, 14 through 16. Are you following me? Now listen closely. He teaches us here immediately that you must pray for those to whom you preach. He preached and then he prayed. He prayed what he preached. As a matter of fact, I have found over 25 link words. Link words are things that he says in John 17 when he's praying, connected to the two chapters that he said before he even starts speaking. So he is actually praying the spiritual realities of 14 through 16. He's praying them through in John 17. Okay? It's beautiful. This is masterfully put together. And I want you to notice too, it says here, uh, Jesus spoke these things and it says he lifted up his eyes. Does that bring your attention to anything? If you look, turn back to Psalm 121 real fast. I want to show you something. In Psalm 121, we have the psalmist, David, speaking. 
And how many know that Christ is the heavenly David? David only came as a shadow of him who was to come. And you see in Psalm 121, look what it says, the first verse. I will lift up my eyes. Are you seeing this? Jesus lifts up his eyes in prayer, fulfilling his part as the heavenly David. The psalmist of all psalmists is Christ. And he lifts up his eyes. This means a couple of things. Number one, it is absolute bankruptcy in and of himself. He is dependent upon God. As a matter of fact, Psalm 121, the whole thing is, Lord, you're my help. You notice it says, my help comes from the Lord. He's praying out, looking to the Lord to be everything. Jesus is fulfilling this. He, he speaks 14 through 16, and then 17 comes, and he wants them to get 14 through 16 so bad that he lifts his eyes. I'm bankrupt, Lord. I need you to do this. I look up to you to do this. To me, this is just incredible. It's his human person looking up to his father to, to do these things. Also, notice this, that when you lift your eyes, you detach your attention from the earth. Come on. Come on. This is very important for us because a lot of times we pray looking at the earth. Wow. It's better to look away from the earth and look to God, and that's where real prayer begins. When you lift up your eyes to the Lord. So Jesus spoke these things, and then he lifts up his eyes to heaven, and look at his first word there. Father, why does Jesus say Father first? He's teaching us a principle in prayer. And let me just, in, get, just hand this to you. If you don't already have this in your pocket, let me put it in your pocket for you. Father's first, always. Prayer is father first. Before anything, father. Let, turn, to, turn to Matthew 6 real fast. Let me show you that this is what Jesus taught them. In Matthew chapter 6, you see, I hope this is okay. I hope you love your Bible. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus says this, and when you're praying, don't use meaningless repetitions, repetitions like the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. You see this? Then he says, so do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He says, pray then in this way. Look at the first words, our father so when Jesus teaches prayer, he teaches this principle, Father first. Our attention must go first of all to God. Why is that so significant? It's because if he doesn't have all of our attention, then we're just giving meaningless repetitions and words that mean nothing. But if we'll detach from the earth and look at God who accepts us as sons and see him for who he is and what he has done on our behalf, then you begin prayer. And Jesus is, is so masterful in the way that he does stuff. Turn over to Acts chapter one, look at this. In Acts chapter one, Luke is writing, you know this, but it says here, this is the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Do you see this? To do and to teach. Jesus doesn't practice what he preached. He preached what he practices. So to do first and then to teach. So Jesus does this stuff and teaches it. So Jesus has went many times alone to be with the Father. And they look at him and they say things like this. Teach us how to do that. Then he says, okay, I'm going to teach you what I do, Father. Do you see it? 
Isn't that beautiful? And so he grabs a hold of his God, of his, of his father. And look at this. He says, the hour has come. This is very important for us to look at in John 17, because this is the culmination of the whole reason why Jesus came to the planet. Say this with me. Say, Jesus came to the planet, came to the planet. With, a goal. with a goal. Now, if you don't know what that goal is, you just need to take a look at Revelation 13, 8, and you see that the lamb was slain before the foundations of the world, which means he came here for one reason, and that one reason was to die in our stead as the wonderful substitutionary person. He offers himself in our stead. There's nothing like this. As a matter of fact, it's so grand, none of us really even grasp it. We think we do sometimes, and then we get another layer ripped off, and we're like, oh, I didn't even realize. But I'm telling you, this is an endless meditation that Jesus Christ has taken your place. It's incredible. You could preach that one thing for the rest of your life and never exhaust it. He has come. So he comes, and this hour that he's speaking of is now it's all about to be done. I've come here, I've lived on the earth, and now I'm gonna die. My hour has come. Father, it's time. I will go down into the earth, and I will be buried, or I will be in a tomb, and then I will resurrect, and I will go up back to be with you. It's the moment he's looking at. Now look at what he says in connection with the moment. He says, glorify your son. Say this, say glorify your son. That your son may glorify you. Okay, so there's two glories going on here, okay? There's the glory of the son. God glorifies Jesus. And when Jesus is glorified, then God is glorified. Are you seeing? So when Jesus says, my hour has come, he's speaking of the moment for which he came. And he's asking God to glorify him so that God can get glorified. Now let's look at what it means for Jesus to be glorified. He goes on and he expounds on it. And he says, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, this is how God glorified Jesus, by granting him a name above every name. He glorifies Christ by, and why does, why does he glorify Christ with a name above every name? Turn over to Philippians chapter two. And I want you to look at verse eight. So it says, being found in the appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what are, where are we going here? We're going to the point where Jesus is saying, it's all about to be accomplished. Glorify me, which is I'm going to go down into death. Raise me from the dead, Father. Because when you raise me from the dead, you will give me a name above every single name. And when I get that name, he says what he's going to do with that name. He says, you've given me authority over all flesh. And look at this. And to whom? You have given him, he may give to them eternal life. Jesus says, my time is here, Father. I'm looking to you. My time is here. I'm going to die. Raise me up from the dead. Because only if I raise from the dead and become something other than what I am right now, can I give to them something that they don't have right now. And what is it that they, that they want? It is eternal life. It is not just life that never ends. It is 
the divine substance of existence that God himself is, is shared with you by Jesus Christ. There's just not even, we just don't have the capacity to get it in the brain. Do you understand what I mean? I'm trying to point at something because I feel like it's very significant for us right now. Look at what he goes on to describe about this eternal life. Verse three, this is the eternal life that they may know you. The only one, God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Okay, I'm gonna bring it back home again. Jesus is here. He's just got done speaking the greatest sermon known to mankind. He lifts his eyes to his father and he goes, it's all about to happen. You've got to raise me from the dead. And when you do, I will be glorified. And when I am glorified, I will give to them eternal life. And when they get eternal life, they will be able to know you. Now, let me tell you why it's so important that Jesus be glorified in order for Jesus to, to give eternal life to men. Turn over to John 7. Look at this. This is... This just blows my mind. I have read this before with tears dripping on my Bible. Now, on the last day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out. Can you picture the Son of Man as a human being in the midst of a large feast? And then he just stands up on a table and he says this out loud. I mean, he's not, he's not saying, oh, um, um, if anyone is thirsty. You know, he jumps up on a table. And he opens his mouth and he says, oh, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Yes. He's quoting something. He's quoting Isaiah 55, 1, where it says, oh, if anyone's thirsty, let him come and drink waters without price, milk and wine without any cost. Why? How, how can you drink something without cost? It's because someone else paid it for you. <laughs> That's why it's free. Because someone else paid for it. So it says here, Ho, anyone who's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Look at this. He who believes in me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Look at this. But this he spoke of the Spirit who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus needed to die in our stead and be raised from the Father to come out of his human limitations to be able to send to you something you didn't have before, which is the Holy Ghost, dot, 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 eternal life himself. The means by which you know and experience God. Isn't this insane? Jesus is unveiling it all for us here. So he says this, I glorified you on earth. I've accomplished the work that you've given me to do. Now, I want you to jump over to uh, verse 10. He says this, all things are mine, uh, 11. I am no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world. I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. I want to explain to you what he means when he says, keep them in your name. Say this, say, keep them in your name. Now, this is very specific that he says, this because the name of God is representative of all God's characters, his revelations of character that he has. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, you remember this, he's named according to what he does. In other words, his character is labeled a name. So his name represents his character. When Jesus prays, keep them in your name, he's saying, let them not transgress the parameters of your character. Keep them in your character. Keep them in your character. 
by your own spirit. You wanna know why he says keep them in your, char your character? It's because it's connected to something. He says, in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. So this shows us that the reason why disunity happens is because someone has stepped out of the character. But if we'll be kept, but like Jesus' prayer, that we'll be kept in the name, we'll be one because the character and nature of the Godhead that is one will be in us. And so here's the key for marriage. Here's the key for a good family. Here's the key for a solid church is to be kept in the name. It's his character coming in. What happens a lot of times that causes so many divisions is at some point, somebody lifts up themselves above the other. Look at, look at Ephesians chapter four real fast. So the third verse of Ephesians chapter four, you gotta see this. If you don't know where Ephesians is, Gentiles eat pork chops. <laughs> Four, three, it says this. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Are you seeing what causes the unity and what the unity is? It's the spirit. And we see that Jesus wants to send them the spirit because in the spirit, there is unity. And it is what keeps us in the name, in the character, in the nature of God. We'll go on from there and, and look at a couple more things and then we'll be done. He says, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you had given me. I guarded them. Now, let me just give you an example of Jesus keeping them in his name. Turn over to Luke chapter 22. Verse 24, look at this. There was a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. So they're fighting. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. No, no, I should be first. No, no, I should be first. You see this? So Jesus steps in and he says, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves the one reclining at the table? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves you. So he keeps them in the character because they're about to get out of the character by thinking who's greater. So Jesus says, I've kept them in your name. When they were about to exalt themselves, I tried to tell them and I showed them, you've got to become a servant. Now he's saying, I'm leaving. I need God. I'm praying that you now, by the Spirit, keep them in your name. So in other words, when you start to exalt yourself and you get, past, you get right to the corner of the wonderful guidelines that God has given to us, you're about to step out of bounds. The Holy Spirit should push you back in and remind you so that you can stay one with one another. Isn't that beautiful? And Jesus is praying this. Oh, I love this. It makes me so happy. Then um, he goes down. In verse, look, look at this, this is so great, guys. Verse 13, but now I come to you. He's praying to the Father, and he says, these things I speak in the world so that they may have joy in themselves. Isn't that interesting? He's praying these things in order that they may experience joy. That's incredible. Look at chapter 16, verse 33, what the last verse of the last 
the chapter before. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you. What things? John 14 through 16. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you, you may have peace. Are you seeing this? Teaching brings peace. Prayer brings joy. Jesus teaches them these things in John 14 through 16 so that they can experience peace. And that's what the teaching of Jesus does. He brings peace into you by giving fresh bread to you. But then he prays for them that they may experience joy. So the whole totality of Jesus's ministry has to do with a feeling. Peace and joy. I pray for you so you have joy and I teach you so you may have peace. Regardless of what's going on around, it doesn't even matter what's going on around you. If you hold on to the words of Jesus, you have peace. And if you literally enter into fellowship with him through prayer, which is what he's doing with the Father, then you will have joy. And it doesn't matter if you're put in solitary confinement because you have peace and you have joy in the name of Jesus. Are you following me? And so we'll go on just a little bit more and we'll be done, okay? So he says there, I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. How many of you have experienced the world system and mindset not liking you because of the word of the Lord inside your life? Okay, so Jesus told you this is gonna happen. It's just, it's just how it goes. He says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. When he says keep them from the evil one, it's connected to the persecution that would come from holding on to the name of the Lord. In other words, when things get difficult because you're holding on to Jesus, the evil one wants to get into your mind and cause doubt, cause fear, cause a desire to throw in the towel. Be like, man, this is just too rough. I'm throwing in. So the evil one works to wear out the saints. And one of the means by which he tries to wear out the saints is persecution and pressure. So Jesus prays for you so that when the persecution comes and the intensification comes by pressure from the evil one, you will not fail. Remember when, when, when Peter, uh, Jesus says, the devil has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you so your faith will not fail. So the devil comes after you. The whole system that he has set up comes after one thing in your life, your faith. So all the stuff that he works at is trying to get your faith. Now, what do you mean by your faith? Your absolute trust in God, your abandonment trust in God. He tries to take this and wear this down in your life. So you say, you know, I've been failing recently. Nobody knows that I've been failing. You know, so what's, what's the use if, if nobody knows I'm failing? Who cares if I fail? The reality is, is this, your faith is under attack. That's the reason why secret sins that nobody knows about are so dangerous is because they, they will wear away at your faith. And before you know it, you'll get to the point where you just let in a little bit of doubt and that doubt spreads like gangrene and then two years from now, you're a homosexual. That's how it works. It just works in like, like, a, like a, it's just that way. Okay, so we'll go on here and it says, they are not in the world, I mean, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Isn't that crazy? Because you have the spirit that Jesus himself has. You are like him here because you have his same spirit. Sanctify them in the truth. I wanna to talk to you just for a second about what it means to be sanctified in the truth. So to be sanctified is to, okay, so if I take this bucket right here and it is here and I say, I'm gonna sanctify this bucket for the use of the offering. I will take it from here and put it here, designated for the purpose of receiving the offerings. 
saying that's sanctification. All it means is you've been set, separated from other people, other buckets for a specific purpose. Does that make sense? Jesus says, I'm, I want to, he's praying, sanctify them, take them out of the world and put them into something else. You want to know what that other thing is? He says, it's called truth. So he says, I'm praying that though they're in this world, you will take them out of the system and way of thinking of this world and you will sanctify them, set them apart inside of truth. Now, here's the thing. Jesus says in John chapter eight, verse 44, he says that Satan is not standing in the truth. So Satan was here and he went out. Are you understanding? So he is, Satan has sanctified himself from the Lord. He set himself apart from the Lord. That's called a lie. And that's why Jesus says everything that he says is a lie. Everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. And so those that are not sanctified by the Lord, they have this way about them. It's not in accordance with the realm of existence that those who are in the truth have. Now, he goes on to tell you what that truth actually is. He says, your word is truth. So it is literally receiving the voice of the Lord in our lives that is the expression of being inside of the truth. Being in the truth is so much more than knowing what's correct. Being in the truth means you have been literally placed into a whole new disposition of life. And it is by the spirit and it is by the word. So he goes on here and he says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. Let me tell you what a witness is. A witness is when somebody who's in the truth is in the world. That's a witness. But if you're not in the truth and you're in the world, you cannot, you cannot be a witness. A witness is just someone who is sanctified amongst those that are not. And you are a demonstration of life lived with the value system and the spirit and the connection with God that the glory Jesus gives to you with eternal life and the spirit and the word actually bring to you. Are you following me? Okay, I, I promise I won't go much longer, but it's just, I'm just so excited about this. So if you go on to, uh, we'll just jump right down to the last. No, wait, wait, you gotta see this. Look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. Jesus is praying. Now, remind, remember who's talking here. It's so easy to let this just be black and white. But look at what we're seeing unveiled to us from the inside of Christ, God Almighty. He says, Father, I desire. Jesus has a desire in his heart. You know what desire is. You've desired things in your life. Jesus has that same feeling on the inside of him. And he says that they also whom you have given to me will be with me. If you look at the wording there, it has to do with two things. He wants them to be with him, and he is looking forward to the day they will be with him. It's a twofold thing, and both of them have to do with this, you in his presence. Here's my desire. If, if, I, was, if I was standing in the stead of Christ, I have full faith that I could say, this is what Jesus would say to you. I want you to be with me, because that's what he's already prayed. That's what he's already asked. Now, look at what's, what's inside of being with him. This is just so wild. He says, I desire uh, that they would be with me. Then he says this, 
so that they may see my glory. It is in his presence that you see him. And it is in his presence to come where you will see him in a greater way. And he says here, they may see my glory, which you have given me. Now, he earlier states about this glory that he had with the father before he came to the world. You guys know that the word always was. And he was together with God. And then that word entered into a human body. And that situation is called Jesus. When the word enters into a human body. Now listen to me. If Jesus ceased to be a human, humanity would cease to be saved. But Jesus has become a human forever so that humanity is forever saved. He has come down out of glory and become exactly what you are. And then remains that forever to keep you forever. There, there is just not another thing that you can even think of like this. This is why it's called the great and glorious gospel. This is why the angels come and they say, we've got incredible news for you. We don't even believe it ourselves. God is going to come here and become you so you can be saved forever. He didn't do that for us. He did it for you. That's incredible, guys. This gospel is matchless. So he goes on and he's wanting you to see. He's wanting you to see him in his glory. He says, you have loved me before the world was. Oh, righteous Father, all the world, although the world has not known you, I have known you. And this is where I'll close out. Verse 26. He says, I have made your name known to them. Now, you know what the name means. It's the character and nature of the person of God. Jesus says, I am the exact representation of your nature. I've lived among them. They've seen everything about you. They've seen the way I deal with people. They see what I value. They see what I don't value. They see who I am, and in that, they see who you are. I have manifested your name to them. Your character is clear to them because they have seen me. As Bill Johnson said, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. And so you see Jesus, you see the Father. He even says to the disciples, they said, show us the Father, that'll be enough. He goes, have, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I have manifested his name to you. Everything you want to know about God is right here looking at it. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, and will make it known to them. I want you to say this, say, and will, and will. make it known. So he's already made it known, but he says, I'm going to continue to make it known to them. How is he going to do that if he goes to the Father? Well, he already just told them in chapter 14, 15, and 16 that the Holy Spirit would come. They look at Jesus in front of them. I don't know if you can think of anything greater than Jesus Christ standing before you in the flesh. Can you think of anything greater than that? I mean, it would be, I would fall on my face. I, I mean, I would just tackle him. And Jesus is standing in front of them. Physically, they can see him blinking and breathing. They see Christ. His heart beats in his chest. He's a human being. Probably a hair is out of place. And they're looking at God Almighty. And he says to them this. He says, it's better for you that I leave you. And they're like, what? You're going to leave us? What are we going to do? And Jesus says, oh, you don't understand. It's so much better if I go. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go, then I will send the Spirit to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, 
Glorify me, God, that I may glorify you, because you will give me a name above every name, and then I will send the Holy Ghost to them, and they will have eternal life on the inside of them, and my word will keep them, and the Spirit will keep them in the truth, and then they will be witnesses in the world, probably hated by the world, most likely, but the reality is, is this, they will know me, and they will walk with me, and then he finishes up by saying, and the love that you have had for me will be in them and me in them. This is union talk. This is the highest thing known to man is union with God. I don't understand a lot of the teachings that go on nowadays that don't have as the apex of all of it, the union of the soul with God. I don't understand why I emphasize anything other than what Jesus is praying. Remember, this is Jesus's last prayer. This is the culmination of his whole existence. He prays, lastly, for you. You say, no, Eric, he doesn't pray for me. He prayed this for the disciples. No, no, look at this. It says, verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, even as I am not in the world. He goes, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. I read the same thing twice. They are not of the world, even as I am not of, of the world. He says, uh, well, where is it? He says, uh, 20. I do not ask on behalf of those alone, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. That's you. Jesus is praying for you, these things. And I, I guarantee you that if the worlds were created by the speaking of God, the world to come was created by this prayer. There's nothing like it. That God would send his own spirit to be on the inside of you. It is matchless, and it is, the, it is Jesus' exposition of what this whole thing is about. You lose the reality of peace and joy and fellowship with God by the Spirit, and Jesus never got what he died to give you. You should live in this reality. Anything less than this is less than what he died to give to you. You understand? Okay, I hope there's so much more we could get into, but I'll close it out right there. I know we've been here a while, but... Just put your hand on your heart. And I want you to pray this with me with all sincerity, okay? In bankruptcy, because you can't do anything. You can't make this happen. Just put your hand on your heart and say this, Jesus, I see it. Help me see it. I believe it. Help me believe it. In your precious name, I ask you now, fill me fresh with eternal life the Holy Ghost and keep me in the truth. Guard me from the evil one. In your precious name, fill me with the love that the Father filled you with and live in me that I might be one with those around me. Not intentionally, but by the Spirit, effortlessly. In your holy name, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you so much, Pastor, for letting me unload on these people. <laughs> we honor him, yeah. Wow. That's a lot to chew on, yeah? Wow. I would encourage you this week to just read through that every day once. That's a lot there. And you're, that's one of those things. And I love that sometimes we come into a service like this and we're waiting for an emotional moment when we really just need to receive the seed of the word in our heart and chew on that thing that God can do something. And that's what he's been teaching us, yeah? We've been going through Matthew 5 and learning about his kingdom. So what a beautiful, that God would set parameters for us about his character. It's just incredible. 
So I wanna go ahead and close today by, by blessing sonship. Can we do that together? I wanna give you a second. Um, I'm gonna have a couple guys come up and I wanna encourage everybody to sow. Chucho, can you come? Can I get one more? Kenny, can you come real? I wanna give you an opportunity to bless, bless sonship. You can give um, online, you can give text, you can give through envelope. There's a little black box in the back, but I wanna ask everybody to give something. Um, this is a message, what, what sonship carries is a message that has to go out. It's not a message that's like, it's not just a cute thing. Like, it's a message that has to go out. And people need, it needs to be caught. You understand what I'm saying? There's lots of things like he says that are being taught all around the world right now. But this union, this connection with God is important. So listen, I didn't even take tithes and offerings today. We're just going to collect all of it now. And we're just going to bless them as, as a house because we believe in what they carry. And every time they've come here, they've deposited something into our house. So can we just all together, can we just, can we just connect in unity together and just bless them? Because listen, they just, this is, their, this is their life. So you know, if you were at the house during the pandemic, so were they. So we just want to bless them above and beyond even, even what we did last time. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask everybody to partner with us. Amen. Jesus, I thank you for, for what you did today. I thank you that, that you seal and you hold every word that was deposited today, that, that nothing can steal what was deposited in every person. God, I thank you for the ministry of sonship for Eric and Brooke and their family. And I just ask that you continue to expand their territory. Father, I ask that the message of intimacy and of, and of being rooted and of staying in union would just continue to go forward and you would bless them, that you would take them, God, to new heights. We thank you for their lives. We thank you for their message. We thank you for their yes, because it has been an incredible blessing to our church and our lives and even our family. So Lord, as we give today, we ask that every dollar would be multiplied and that everything that their hands touch will be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Bless you guys as you give. We love you guys. Hey, listen. Um